Most of you remember revivals of past years. It seems that uh, these occur less and less frequently. I don't know why people just don't go to revivals as much anymore. Um, it just is the case. I have a favorite uncle of mine who has preached many, many, many revivals. And he told me about 10 years ago, he said, he said, people don't show up anymore. He said, I show up, but they don't show up. But you, you remember, you remember these events of past years. I remember that in the first church that I served as a pastor, uh, that they told me about extended meetings. And I said, what are extended meetings? And they said, well, you know, revivals that go on for more than one week. And I said, I've not heard of that. You see, I, when I entered, revivals had already shrunk to about four nights. Occasionally, that might be that it would go until Thursday or Friday night. But no, people are defensive to hold those two nights to themselves. Now, it seems that... Revivals may just evaporate into thin air. Maybe we need to do something about that here ourselves. Robert Key, a dear member of our extended family, is a fellow who has done much to uh, work to help persons, especially young men that are struggling with addictions to drug and alcohol. Um, if you have traveled I-16, perhaps you've seen his Christian Family Ministries cross that's hoisted high upon a pole that's just on the north side of the interstate. If you look, you can't miss it. It's in between here and Macon. And there at that spot, he uh, continues to reach out and to minister to those that are in need. I heard him speaking one day. He said, he said he was at a revival in Baxley. He wasn't preaching the revival. He said that he was simply attending the revival. He said it was interesting because for about a week it had been raining in Baxley. Everything was just soaked. Uh, this was a community revival. Some of you might remember community revivals were usually gathered under tents, not within any one church, lest someone think that they were going to get members that other churches were not going to get. This was a revival that was encamped under a tent. And he said that it was raining so much that the water ran under the tent. They continued to have services. What marked him was the image, he said, of men within the congregation when they were given the invitation to come knelt in the mud that was at the altar, willing to sacrifice their hearts being moved into vibrancy. That's what it's about, because faith can lose its vibrancy. When I was a child, my family loved to go on camping trips. I'm talking about long camping trips. I bless my mother's heart. Uh, for uh, being the, the person that she was and my dad for doing what they did. It's interesting to think about now, if, even as I reflect on it, that we camped out to California, we camped up into Canada, we camped into Mexico, short distance into Mexico, not far, but, but we camped all over the place. And one of the places that we went out in California was a place called the Petrified Forest. Some of you may have been there. 
Actually, there are some trees there that are standing, but the reason that people come is not to see these trees that are still growing, but to see the trees that long ago have given up life and have become these stone structures. They still look like trees, but they are rock. They have become stone. They are petrified. You can go into the gift shop and purchase part of a petrified tree if you want to. I still have pieces of a petrified tree in my office from my childhood that we purchased years ago. The thing that concerns me, and you've already reached this place in your minds, haven't you? Is that we can become petrified in our lives, in our um, essence, All that we are about can become so staid in its structure. John Wesley was this man that was ablaze for God. Uh, We've talked about his experience at Aldersgate Street when he came back to London from having uh, what he considered to be a totally unsuccessful uh, trip, a missionary trip over to this colony of Georgia. He was discouraged. In fact, he was downright depressed when he returned And in his depression, in his self-doubt, he moved into a community of persons that also were studying the Scripture and reading about God. And it was in that context that he wrote in his journal that evening, I felt my heart was strangely warmed. Uh, Some of you have discovered how important groups are within the church. We cannot do this by ourselves. Let me say that again. We cannot do this by ourselves. God calls us to relate to each other. And somewhere in the context of that community, that close community of a small group, we are challenged to be even more than we can be ourselves. Truly, John Wesley was set ablaze by the Spirit that evening. And it affected his life and everyone around him. He was so energetic in his witness that the church couldn't stand it. The Anglican church closed their doors to him. Oh, he could come in and worship at any time. He could sit in the pew. But to get into the pulpit, pastors stopped giving him invitation. It was too much for them to risk that he would be there and he would say something that would create problems for them to deal with later. And so John Wesley had a friend in ministry, George Whitfield, who was down the road in Bristol, and he was preaching outdoors. It was sort of an unheard of thing. And in fact, when John Wesley recorded in his journal that he had agreed to go and meet with George Whitfield and begin preaching outdoors, he put it, I submitted to be more vile. It was not something that he thought very much of at first. Even though he'd heard of George Whitfield's wonderful expressions that people had gathered to hear. This passage in Ephesians was a favorite of John Wesley's to preach on. At least 40 sermons uh, were focused on these words that have been shared. Let me read to you out of this common English translation, this same passage that is so familiar. You were saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possess. It's not something you did that you can be proud of. Instead, 
We are God's accomplishment, created in Christ Jesus to do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. Wesley's messages were grace-laden rather than guilt-laden. Have you ever been to a revival where the preacher was spitting hellfire and brimstone at you? Go ahead, raise your hand if you have experienced that. It is not a pleasant experience. I think that, uh, that each of us have had those experiences where you felt like you were being scolded into loving God. You have to ask yourself the question, is this the way that God would communicate his own message? It's interesting that John Wesley discovered early on that there is this call to receive God's love and to understand it better, to be perfected in that love, to do this faith living as Christ lived for us. It was in Bristol that there were two groups that came together, early Methodist groups, and decided to build what they called a preaching house. It's a sanctuary. It doesn't have anything much else attached to it, but it is still standing today. Sue and I had the opportunity to go see it. It's called the New Room at Bristol. And you go there, and it's just overwhelming to think. John Wesley preached at this spot. Charles Wesley led singing in this place. You should go if you have the opportunity. This is history, but it's not so ancient history that we're not connected very closely with it. In that place, they came together to hear preaching. Guess how many nights they would get together to hear preaching? Every night. It was a preaching house. You ask yourself, what did people do before television? They went to church before television every night. If John Wesley couldn't be there, there was another preacher that filled the pulpit and began to share the messages that were on their hearts. And people came and they continued to come because this was such a focus of their wish. John Wesley published a pamphlet about four years after he had his heartwarming experience that he called the character of a Methodist. And really, he was just quoting scripture to these early, Christ, these early Methodists. One said, a Methodist is one who has the love of God shed abroad in his heart by the Holy Ghost. You remember that from Romans chapter 5, don't you? A Methodist loves the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. You remember quoting Jesus from Mark 12? A Methodist has God as joy as the joy of his heart and desire of soul constantly crying out, who have I in heaven but thee? Some of you who read through the book of Psalms would remember the words of Psalm 73 in that telling. Methodists are happy in God. They give thanks in all things. They pray without ceasing. They love God and neighbor. They are pure in heart. And I know that you're saying, that's just a Christian. That's just what a Christian does. And I want to say to you, exactly That's what John Wesley was getting at, is that Methodists are called to really define once again what it means to be Christian, to step outside of our petrified spirits and to become renewed in heart 
This is a renewal movement. It is the offering of the gift of salvation that perhaps is most in need right now. Should be vibrant in our lives at every moment. And I put this before you today. Is God calling you? And let me answer that question for you. He is calling you. I have no question that he is calling all of us to a higher level of devotion, to be perfected in love. Another question for you, is his grace reaching out to you? And let me answer the question for you. His grace is reaching out to all of us. He is constantly reaching in order that we might be embraced in his perfect love and be emissaries of that. Here it says in the scripture, instead we are God's accomplishment, created in Christ Jesus to do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way that we live out our lives. This is the whole purpose, that we would be perfected in love in order to share Christ's love. It concerns me today that there is a resurgence of those who believe that we have no choice in the matter of salvation. I know it's strange perhaps for you to hear me say that, but there is a large number of, there are a large number of persons in our world today that believe that these decisions were made before we were even born. And in fact, I, I found, find it astounding that in one of our sister denominations, all right, I'll go ahead and say it, the Baptist, um, there is a strong resurgence of Calvinism. How those two things can connect in one place, I don't understand. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it. Calvin affirmed double predestination. And in that, he was saying that God chose those who would be saved and those who would be damned before they were born. That includes you and I. It is astounding to me that this God who loves the world would decide before we are born that some good number will be damned. I do not believe it. In fact, I believe it is an unjust way look, to look at a very just God. The broader witness of Scripture, thank goodness, is that God loves the world. You know that Scripture, don't you? And that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And that God desires that all would be saved. There is a choice in this matter that we are given. You and I are called to receive what God has to offer to us. Just this past week, I had the opportunity to have a short conversation with a 10-year-old child. She came to me, tugged on my sleeve, and she looked up and she said, I asked Jesus into my heart today. This is important stuff. I stooped over to get nearer to her And she said it again, I asked Jesus into my heart today. And I said, and best of all, you will have the opportunity to make that decision every other day of your life. 
Incredible. Incredible. I have no doubt that Jesus did come into her heart. It will be interesting to see what God makes of her willingness to welcome God. Wesley believed that God works in our lives to give us a choice. In fact, he traveled, it is said, 250,000 miles. When he got back to England from Georgia, he traveled 250,000 miles across England and Wales and Scotland and Ireland traveling constantly to spread this message. He preached some 40,000 times. I thought I preached a lot. He was absolutely given to the idea that the church needed to be this renewed entity, this organic entity, always being shaped by God. Because there's always this threat that you and I will slide into the idea that really there's nothing to be done. It's all happened already. And even though there is scriptural truth to that idea that Christ by his death and resurrection has changed everything he's left a lot in our hands yet to do in caring for others and so this invitation I want to make clear to you today have you accepted God's grace John Wesley believed that God's grace goes before our even coming to an awareness that he's working within our lives. But once the awareness comes to us, it is so very important in justifying grace for us to say yes, to say yes. As the little girl said, I invited Jesus into my heart today. Have you said yes, given God a starting point no God started way before that but he is looking for us and our willingness in order that we might move then into the grace of sanctification where we spend every day seeking to be perfected in love I've heard that it was said that for Baptists, and I'm not meaning to hit on Baptists today. They are our dear brothers and sisters in the faith. It just sounds like that. I, we have many brothers and sisters in the faith. In the Presbyterian Church and in the Episcopal Church and in the Catholic Church and, and in so many places. But I've heard that it was said that the important question for Baptists is, are you saved? Not so for the Methodists. Get this right. For the Methodist Church, the really important question is are you in the process of being saved? Get this answer right. 
and say it every day in your prayers. Oh, yes, Lord, I want to be in the process of being saved.